0: Well, welcome back. So glad you guys are back. Week five of our series called Anti Heroes, where we've been walking through the book of judges together. Now, the book of judges is really not about like court judges, right? It's not like guys that were in the Supreme Court or like traffic court or something like that. But the, these judges, they were, right? They were kind of like heroes. But, you know, we know that heroes are. They're good, they're noble, they're true, but these guys, the judges were, well, they were flawed, every last one of them. And so as we've gone through this series, we've talked about the fact that even though they got the job done, because it wasn't always good and noble and true in the way that they did it, we've called these guys anti-heroes. Now, as we've walked through the first eight chapters of the book of Judges, we have seen four major judges so far. We've seen Othniel, right? And we saw the cycle of sin with Othniel. And then we saw Ehud, the left-handed assassin. Then we saw the judges of Deborah, Barak, or JL. Listen, you be the judge of who was the judge in that story, all right? I'm not really sure which one it was, but those three combined to be a judge. And then last week, last week we saw the story of a guy named Gideon. And so we've looked at four major judges. Now, you may not know this, but the whole book of judges is made up of six major judges and six Minor judges. In fact, we saw one of the minor judges a couple weeks ago. His name was Shamgar. He took an ox goad and he slayed 600 men. And that was all the Bible told us about him. And you may say, what's the difference, Charles, between a major judge and a minor judge? Right? Is there a difference between these two things? And there is a difference between a major judge and a minor judge. A major one has a lot more written about them and a minor one has a lot less written about them. That's it. That's the only difference between them. It's kind of like sometimes when we look at the prophets, we have major prophets and we have minor prophets. People go, what's the difference? Is one less important than the other? No, we just have more material written on one than we do the other. And that's what makes them the difference between major and minor. So the book of Judges has six major judges and six minor judges. And it also has one anti-judge that sits right in the middle of the whole book. Now, we're not going to talk about the anti-judge, you'll have to go look at it, we're talking about anti-heroes, not anti-judges inside of this series, so you'll have to go find him and see what you can find on him yourself. But today we're moving on to the next major judge. His name is Jephthah, and Jephthah means the opener. That's what his name means, the opener. The opener. Talk about like the greatest like WWE or WWF name ever, right? Can't you see it coming out now? The Opener, right? He's going to open up a can of something on you. so You better watch out. I'm like, this is like the coolest name ever right here. So it is The Opener. Now, I have to be honest with you. I didn't know a lot about Jephthah until I got to college. So some of you may be sitting out there going, I've never heard about this guy that you're going to be talking about today. And that's okay, all right? But in college, I learned about Jephthah because we had a book that we were supposed to read in one of our preaching classes called Texts of Terror, Passages that Should Make Every Preacher Tremble Where They're At. It's a great place to learn about the passage we're preaching about today, right? It's a text of terror and should make people tremble. And so... I tell you what, before we ever even get started this morning, because I already know that this is a text of terror and I knew it when we started, will you pray with me and then we'll jump in. God, I thank you for this passage, even though it's got some incredibly difficult things inside of it, things that are hard for us to understand and to understand how it is that you could still bless something that has such a major flaw. But God, I know more than anything that you and you alone are powerful enough and you alone can break the power of sin in our lives. And God, that is the message that you have in Jephthah is that you are an opener for us and god i pray that we would see that today and it's in your precious and holy name we pray amen all right so our story today our story today is found in judges chapter 11 so if you've got your bibles or if you've got your phones turn them on scroll down to judges chapter 11. While you're doing that though there is some backstory to this judge all right now any good hero and really any great anti-hero has a good backstory right i mean batman has a backstory before he becomes batman right and so this story actually kind of starts in chapter 10 and chapter 10 opens up and we meet two of those minor judges right at the beginning of chapter 10. We meet a guy named Tola, and then right behind him, by the way, nobody really knows how to pronounce this guy's name. It's J-A-I-R. So he could be J-Air, right? Like, you know, Jordan Air sort of a thing. It could be Hair, because they didn't really have a J sound, right? And it's kind of had, probably it was like a Y-Ear sort of a sound to his name, right? Nobody really knows how we say his name. They just make it up, So anytime you hear preachers and they say all these names in the Old Testament, they're always just making up however it is that they're supposed to pronounce it. So if you read the Bible at home and you're like, I don't know how to pronounce it, it's okay. We don't either. All right? So just pronounce it however you think it should be pronounced. I'm going to call him Hare, right? probably because I'm thinking about another story that's about to come. But these guys are there for almost 50 years, the two of them ruling over Israel, and things are good. And then verse 6 in chapter 10 happens, and it says this, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. We've seen this over and over again. Here it is, the start of the cycle. But this time, This time, there are a few things that show up that are a little bit different. And for the very first time, God names their offense. Read on down in verse 6. It says, because they served the Baals and Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, and the gods of the Ammonites. They even served the gods of the Philistines. And then you could almost just underline this one in your Bible because it says they forsook the lord and did not serve him they served all of the gods of all of their enemies around them but they forgot about yahweh the one true god and so god gave them over to those gods In fact, before long, he not only gave them over to those gods, he gave them over to the people who worshipped those gods, and they became enslaved by all of those enemies who surrounded them. And just as we've talked about before, where the cycle goes, that they abandon God, and then he sends them into bondage, the people of Israel began to cry out. But this time, God responds differently. Look with me at verses 13 and 14. He says, I will save you no more. Why don't you just go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen over me? Why don't you let them save you in the time of distress? Wow. So God said, no. He told them, I'm not going to send a deliverer this time just because you cried out to me. I'm not doing it anymore. He said, I see what the pattern is. I know what's going on here. And you don't really care about me. You just don't want to be in your current situation. And the people, for the very first time in the series of cycles, the Bible says that they turned and repented. They put away all of the idols that they had been worshiping and they began to worship God. And it just so happens at the same time that they make that choice and decision, the Ammonites Ammonites gather together on their border and are about to invade Israel. In fact, verses 10 through 18 said that the leaders of Gilead, which is one of the Israelite tribes, gathered together and they said this. It said, and the people... Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites for us? And if he comes, he shall be head over all of the inhabitants of Gilead. And that's the backstory to where we're at before our hero, our anti-hero shows up on the scene. Because it's almost as if in direct response to that question. Who will show up? That 11 verse 1 comes onto the scene And the answer is, now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. One commentator that I read phrased it this way. It said, Jephthah was a brave hero. A brave hero. And so as you read through this, you're like, that's the guy. It's like in the movies when you see all the backstory and the scene cuts and they like introduce some new character, you're like, mmm, that's important right there, right? You're like, that guy, he's important. He's gonna be the one that answers the question about what it is that they just asked. And so we have Jephthah, and we have already seen that he's a Gileadite. And you're like, what in the world does that mean that he was a Gileadite? Well, let me tell you what it means that he was a Gileadite. What it means is, is that he came from the tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the guys who got a double portion right there were two sons of joseph joseph the same guy who rescued the entire family of israel when he moved his other 11 brothers into the house of egypt where by the way he was number two guy in control manasseh was his oldest son And so this group of Gileadites come from that. And Gilead, right, was Manasseh's oldest son. And he's the one who founded this area and took on this land. In fact, the whole region that this tribe was in was called Gilead. And it meant... The hillside with lots of testimony or witness. In fact, it was the place where they had witnessed God do miraculous things over and over again because God was faithful to this people. Jephthah's dad was Gilead Jr., in other words, he was the head of the clan. He was the one that was in charge, had been passed down. You don't just get the name Gilead for kicks and giggles. It's not like any other name that you're just like, well, we think this sounds good. No, it meant something. It was passed down specifically, and Jephthah was his son. But then we find out that there's a problem. Right after we hear that he's this brave warrior, we see these words. It says this, but he was the son of a prostitute. If ever there was an oops attached to somebody's name right in the Bible, this is probably it right here. Uh, He's mighty, but, you know, I can only begin to imagine What that line carried as far as weight in Jephthah's life. The Bible doesn't tell us that the affair that happened with the prostitute was before or afterwards, but we know that there are other sons that exist. And those other sons come from his wife. And so we have Jephthah, who is the illegitimate child. In fact, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, he's like the Jon Snow of the Stark family, right? In fact, Jon Snow is run off to go join the Night Watchmen, and we find that Jephthah is run off by his family as well. Now their reasons were anything less than honorable for why they ran Jephthah off. In fact, we find in verse 2, it says that they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah left. The only thing you really could do in that moment, he left. And it says that Jephthah left for a place called Tob. Tob literally means a better place. Yeah. He left for a better place. He did what any of us would do, right? If our family or our friends or whatever is toxic around us, then we're probably going to leave and go find a better place. And that's what Jephthah did. But I want you to notice that not only did Jephthah leave, but he leaned into his new circumstances, and he learned and sharpened his ability to lead. Look with me at verse 3. It says that there were worthless fellows who collected around Jephthah, and they went out with him. He formed a group, almost like a biker gang, if you will, right? He was hell's angels before there were hell's angels. By the way, a small side note for just a second. In Jephthah, we see this picture, a picture of a future king that comes onto the scene. This anointed king who would have to run off to go save his life. And this better place while he was there, he gathers a group of men to follow him and to fight with him. And it didn't matter if those mighty warriors were people of good character or not. By the way, that future king, his name was King David. And God used both of these men, both of these men in an incredibly mighty way i love that i love that in fact if you're taking notes i want you to write this down god doesn't hold your backstory against you god doesn't hold your backstory against you you see there's no question that god knew that jephthah was born out of wedlock there's no question about that But it didn't change God's intentions about how he wanted to use Jephthah. God knew that he had been running around, leader of this biker gang, if you will. And to be honest, I don't know why God chose to use Jephthah. But I do know that it tells me that Jephthah's backstory is just that backstory. But you know, there was a time in Jephthah's life when it wasn't his backstory. It was his current story. Right? There was a a moment where he was going through all of those hardships. You know, I think I would be ignorant to look around this room and not think that there's some of you that you're probably in your backstory right now. You're in the midst of A hard moment. And in living in that hard moment, you're like, I'm seeking out Tob. I want to find a better place for my life. Because this, this is awful. It's hard. But the reality is, you just can't ever seem to get there. You just don't feel like you're getting to a better place. And you say, you know what, it doesn't make sense. None of this makes sense. And what am I supposed to do in the midst of my current story? You know, I I believe, and I think we see here that in our backstory, we have to turn to God. See, earlier I told you that Jephthah was of the tribe of Manasseh. What I didn't tell you was that Manasseh's main name means the one who forgets. The one who forgets. And it would have been really easy for Jephthah to have lived his life claiming to be the forgotten one. Oh, God has forgotten me. He doesn't love me. It would have been easy for Jephthah to have said, I've left all of that behind and so I'm forgetting all of that behind me. But he didn't. He didn't let his circumstances determine any of his capabilities. He didn't let his circumstances determine his capabilities and you can't either. Either. You can't let the circumstances of whatever's going on in your life determine the capabilities of what God wants to do with it. There's a couple of verses that I love when I'm in the hard moments of my backstory. Here's the first one, Jeremiah 29 11. It says this, this is God talking. He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare, not for evil, plans to give you a future. And a hope. Hmm, that's good. Then I hold on to this one. Romans eight twenty eight. It says, and we know that those who love God, all things, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purposes. Those are big time promises, huge promises. That's right. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I love it. We'll listen for just a second. <laughs> These are those unscripted moments. Those moments when we're in your backstory, right? right now. You know, I read a, a pastor story this week. Pastor stories are some of the greatest stories, and I love to read them. And it was, this one was about a women's Bible study, right, where my women's Bible study ladies, Joan's back over there, she told me the other day, she was like, you cannot get rid of this stuff. And I was like, I'm not getting rid of any but women's Bible studies. So this story is about women's Bible study, and they were studying a passage that talked about the refiner's fire. And the ladies in the group began to talk about what that is, and one lady finally said, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. She said, I'm just going to go to a silversmith this week, and I'm just going to ask him what this looks like in this process of stuff. And so she did. She left the group with the intent of coming back and reporting back to them later about what this was and what this looked like. And she went and she sat there and he put the the minerals in all of the materials and threw it into the fire. This incredibly hot fire that was designed to melt everything down. And after a few hours of it being in the fire, he pulled it out and he scraped some stuff off of the top of it and he put it back into the fire again. And he continued to do that process for several hours. And finally, the woman wanting to know when her day would end, when this research would be over, looked at the silversmith and said, how do you know when it's over, when it's ready? And the silversmith chuckled back at her and he said, that's the easy part. He said, when I can look down and I see my reflection in it, I know that it's ready. You know, sometimes, in fact, most of the time, I would say that God builds our backstory to give him all the glory. In fact, I believe this. I think God desires for our future story to be his feature story. The story that he wants to tell. The story that he wants to put up on the bulletin board to say, See, look at that. That's what I did. And that's what I can do. And that's what I want to do. And that's what I will do. You see, Jephthah's name is in the hall of faith. And I think some of that is because he went through all of this backstory, and he still followed. In fact, I love verse eleven in the passage. It says this: "It says so." Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead. By the way, these were his older brothers, and the people made him head and led leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all of his words before the Lord at Mizpah. You've got a pen, just circle before the Lord. You see, everything, everything that Jephthah was doing was centered in all of the right spots. God was the one that was being honored and he was laying out everything before the Lord. And Jephthah takes the head of the tribe. He becomes leader. The same group of guys that ran him out of town have invited him back and said, we're going to put you in charge of everything. Help deliver us. Use the skills and talents that you honed in the midst of your circumstances. And he does. In fact, Jephthah's first act that he does is he sends a letter off to the other king. He says, look, we really don't want to go to war. The king's king is like, yeah, but you stole all my land. And Jephthah rides him back and he gives him a history lesson. In fact, you could almost go and see the same story played out in Numbers chapter 17 that Jephthah records. And he sends back to him and says listen it wasn't really your land that we took in fact we took great measure to move around all of these different kingdoms and not to do anything to them but the amorite not even the ammonites the amorite king came against us and yahweh our god took them down and he gave us this land and i love the little poke that he makes to him because in, as he's concluding he says listen You serve a different God, so you should just be happy with whatever it is that your God gives you. We're happy with what our God has given us. Oops. What happened was the Ammonite king set up for war. In verse 29, it says that the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. Man, everything was great. But you know what I find? I find that at my greatest moments is where my biggest defeats usually happen. When I think that I'm at my strongest, I'm usually at my weakest. And right after verse 29, verses 30 and 31 happen. It says this, it says, and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. And he said, God, if you will give the Ammonites into my hands then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the Ammonites, it will will surely be yours, and I'll offer it up as a burnt offering. Listen, they didn't have dogs that would run out to come greet you whenever you got home. it's almost certain that Jephthah understood that some human was going to come running out the doors to greet him. But verse 29, it already said that God was with him. Jephthah already had the victory in God. He didn't need to do anything else to secure it. If you're taking notes I want you to write this down when we mix our faith with the messages of the world it's a mistake that misses God's grace let me say that again when we mix our faith with the messages of the world around us it's a mistake that misses God's grace You see, Jephthah allowed the messages of his enemies. Those who would call out to their gods. And they would offer them some sort of gift in exchange for their grace and their glory. And to be honest, we do this all the time. Right? God, if you'll help me with this, then I'll do this for you. God, if you'll do this, I'll tithe more at church. By the way, you should keep that one. God, if you, if you do this, I'll, I'll go to church more often. If you do this, I'll get up in the morning and read my Bible. If you do this, you fill in the blank with whatever it is that you tell God that you're going to do for him. But here's the truth. God doesn't work that way. God's never worked that way. God's never required for us to do to get his grace. Listen, I read a lot of different thoughts on this vow that Jephthah made. And the first thing that ran out his door after the victory happened, which by the way was secured in 29, not in 30 and 31, was his daughter. His only daughter and the Bible is not 100% clear on how it is that Jephthah kept his vow other than the fact that his daughter says yes I'll will do whatever it is and I don't know if it's that he offered her up as a burnt offering and that's what happened or there are some that argued that this is an and or sort of a thing and he offered up a burnt offering and he sent her off to be like the first nun of all time and she served God for the rest of her days But effectively, he ended his family line. It was done. But I do know this. Anytime that we attempt to add something, when we attempt to add something to the equation to get God's grace, we cheapen it. We cheapen it. Listen, God will not break the power of sin in your life because of something that you will do for Him. God will not break the power of sin in your life because of something that you do for Him. He does it because of the promises that He's already given you. Listen, I I think maybe you guys are asleep out there. That's good stuff right there, right? This is one of those places that you should shout amen, all right? Let me say that one more time. God does not break the power of sin in our lives because of the promises that we make or something that we say that we are going to do. He does it because of the promises that he's already made. Thank you. Listen, all of the major religions of the world, you name it, here's what they say. They say that you have to do something in order to get something. God says, nope. In fact, in just a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating the day that he did everything. And all you have to do is say, yeah, I accept that. I accept that he did that for me. That's it. Listen, God did not keep his promise of victory with Jephthah because of what Jephthah offered. In fact, in fact, Deuteronomy, just a little bit after, in numbers where he quoted this entire backstory, in Deuteronomy we find out that offering up a human sacrifice is detestable to God. But you know what? It's not really any less detestable when we try to add anything to what God's promises are for us either. At the end of the day, I think Jephthah gives us an incredible, powerful lesson. A lesson of what to do when we find ourselves surrounded by enemies all around And whether that enemy is sin in our own lives, or whether it's our family, or it's the world around us, and here it is, is that we must trust God's promises. That's it. God says, stand on my promises, and I will not fail you. Let's pray. God, what a huge text. And I know there's just some of the surface that we scratched on it. But God, those promises that exist in your book are not for 2,000 years ago and they're not for somebody else, but God, they are for me. And God, I don't want to be the person who adds all of these other things that I think that I have to do for you in order to make you love me and in order to be worthy of what you did for me. God help me to trust your promises. Help me to lean in to my current story, which will one day be my backstory. So that, God, I can be one of your future stories. So that I can have a future like you talk about in Jeremiah 29 11. Maybe you're sitting here and you would say, you know what, I've never put my trust in any of God's promises. Let me tell you what the greatest promise is. It's a promise of eternity spent with him it comes at the sacrifice of your own life. You say, wait, what are you talking about? See, Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Give up everything else and just begin to follow me and make me the one who's in charge of everything. And my promises will be yours. If you're sitting there and you're like, you know what, I've never ever said to Jesus... I accept that. I'm willing to do that just to gain your promises. At the end, I'll be in the back. Come talk to me. Come say, Charles, I don't know what it means to have God's promises in my life. And we'll start with the first one. Father, we just again give you glory and honor for today as we continue to worship and honor you. In your name we pray.